Due to a guest rescheduling this week, we are republishing part two of last year's interview with New York nightlife legend Carmen D'Alessio. We love the show, not just for the incredible stories that she tells, but for what she represents. Carmen is living proof that reinvention is ageless, energy is infectious, and a reminder to the power of a large network. If you've not heard Carmen, buckle up. If you have, I'm sure this interview is worth a second listen. Now, over to Carmen. Yesterday is history. Tomorrow is a mystery. Today is a gift. That's why we call it a present. In part two of this interview with Carmen Delasio, the New York nightlife legend, impresario, and co-founder of what is often referred to as the greatest club of all time, Studio 54, we explore the untold story of the nightclub. We start the interview with Carmen recounting her second marriage, living and working in Italy for fashion icon Valentino, before leaving Italy to return to New York to build her Queen of the Night reputation. If you've seen the 2018 Netflix documentary on the infamous nightclub Studio 54, you'll hear the other side of the founder's story and how the sensational nightclub came into existence. Carmen also recounts her memories of those unparalleled 33 months of hedonism, having her mother around her and how the era ended abruptly and how the world changed. We also cover how she's continued to reinvent herself and nightlife experiences around the world. Finally, we cover her quickfire questions and answers. I hope you enjoy the wit, wisdom and wonder of Carmen Blasio. Carmen, mm. talk to me about how you went from the UN into a life of public relations and running nightlife in New York? Well, actually, I felt that I have had enough of um, political science and uh, that, and I wanted to change, and I wanted to go into fashion. And then my girlfriend, Lily Townsend, who was running San Laurent, always on account of the languages, invited me to come and do the PR. I did a great job, and then Valentino opened. And then Valentino stole me away from San Laurent as they opened here in 1969. And then in 1970 is when he offered me to move to Rome and run the PR from Via Gregoria. And you were still, and you and, were married at that time. Well, at that point, I was ready to divorce my first husband, Carlos. Yeah, yeah, and then I had met the second one, Enrico Tucci. So yeah. it was very appropriate mm. for me to move in my own terms. And also, because of love, try living in another city that was not New York. I could always come back. And you did that for five years. Yeah. yeah. And that was working with Valentino the whole time in Rome. And opening the different boutiques for him, men, the men's, the Uomo, the interior design and all that. And then between us, one of the main reasons is that I wanted to get out of that marriage. And I thought that by coming back, you know, we were going to split. But he followed me, as I told yeah. you, and we continued. But on the other hand, when we came here is when I was offered by a friend of mine from Brazil... Peter Martins, who owned a wonderful lounge called Tropicalia, and he is the one that asked me if I could possibly come and uh, on Tuesdays and Thursdays bring my friends, drink, dance, have a good time and get paid. I said, is this some sort of a job? I was creating promotion in that moment. He says, yes, this is a job. I, oh, wow, it has my name on it. I said, let's do it. But he knew that I was running around with Imelda Marcos, Franco Rossellini, Monique Van Boren, Andy Warhol, Gibburg, you know. 
He knew what he was doing because that's so, the idea of promotion. Mm. Promotion is to promote a place, is to bring the right people that are going to be making the news, making you money, and of course you deserve being paid for that service. You know, that's why Mark Packer says that I created the industry. So that's when I started with that. And as it usually happens, being that it came out in W and Women's World Daily, everybody was reading about it. First of all, I met my third husband there, and uh, he did, was coming from... Um, so you Tor- met Rick at the club? Excuse me? You met Rick at the club? At the club. Yeah. I was coming back from a vacation in Peru. It was January the 6th, my father's birthday. I was all tanned, dressed in white. And I suddenly arrive, as I usually do, very early to my event. And I see the most handsome guy. I see this guy, tan as I am, with that curly blondish hair, having a drink. And I said, who is that guy? I went to meet him. He says, I know him. He said, he didn't know him, Peter. He just brought him over and introduced us and he was coming from Tortola and he was on vacation his father was the vice president of Warner Bros. Records in LA but he was in the private jet and when he went to Miami to fuel the engines you know he was told by his friends don't go back to LA go to New York go to the Tropicana so he followed the advice and we met that's That's serendipitous Mm -hmm. and I brought everybody and then of course the way this city is Somebody else came, the owner of Infinity, Maurice Brams. Infinity was a huge disco in West Broadway. So he comes and says, whatever you make, I'm going to give you the double, but I want to come and do my clapping. Same. Say it was the Bicentennial period, 1976. And I did a party for the Bicentennial, which made the Wall Street Journal, that saying that it had never been a phenomenon of making money like that, ever. That's when... Ian Schrager and Steve Rubell took a good look, ambitious as they were, the two of them still in Queens in Enchanted Garden, and they say, let's go and check her out. So they came to my next party, which was the Carmen's Carnival, and when they asked for me, they told so her... So you were... Check, so this is 76, and you were working with... Infinity. No, 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 I dropped an account and started and the next went, one. Right, so then you were sort of happy building your network, connecting people bringing them along to the event and then how did they identify you how when you create such press by the events you bring the next character wants to have you also it's as simple as that so you know you you bring business and you bring this i want you to i'm going to offer you the double because my club is double big but bring me the people and then i do the bicentennial and it shows up in wall street journal do you remember your first meeting with the two of them no. no, no, they never, no, no, no. In other words, what are we talking about? The first client was a guy from Brazil. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, he, he never met the second one. These business meetings were not always happening in front of my other bosses, you know. This was something private, you know. The second one, which was Maurice Brahms, came to check me out, look what he's, like what he saw, and then he invited me to come and join him at his club. Then, of course, money talks. I left the first project and I went for the second one. Then the second one was such a success that it attracted Ian and Steve. And how did they they approach you? Well, they wanted to know who I was. Mm. And they told him I was in the shoulders of the tallest guy in the whole party, which was Sterling St. Jacques, and I was in a bathing suit on his shoulders. So I was very recognizable. That's her. Except that I didn't want to talk to them. And uh, they called me over the phone. They said... They wanted to talk to me about helping them out in Queens. In the, I said, no, no way. Don't go out there. I don't cross the bridge, I said. Sorry. 
I don't know anybody there, number one. My whole crowd is in Manhattan. Number two, see, you should get your crowd locally. That's what I, you know, I mean, I cannot even bring the press. I cannot bring anybody all the way there. But they never gave up. They were stubborn as well. So then they found a way, which I didn't know, that Rome Ferry was a dear friend of mine that just passed away two weeks ago in Europe, but he was getting close to 90 years old in any case. He actually did all the artwork of the Enchanted Garden. He did all the installations in neon and all that. And he was a great artist and he was a very good friend of mine. So one day he says, come here, let's go and have lunch at Gino's with his boyfriend, Jean-Pierre, interior designer. So we went and who comes for coffee? Ian Schrager and Steve Rubel. You know, and uh, Steve was very charismatic. He was lovely, very friendly, Sagittarius, such a cool guy. He's the one that convinced me. He wanted to take me for dinner first, you know, with Ian, of course, that night. And they wanted to take us to wherever we want to, me and Rick, my husband. So I called Rick and I said, I have these two guys who want to take us for dinner. Uh, what shall we do? Oh, yeah, he says, let's, let's go to our favorite, Uncle Ty. So they wine us, they dine us. There was everything going on. And at a certain time, they say, shall we go for a drive? I was feeling a little high, you know, so I said, okay, let's go for a drive. And we ended up at the Enchanted Garden. But I was amazed to see that this was a golf club in a golf course. I don't know what I had envisioned, but I didn't envision anything like that, you know. It was awesome. Such great artwork. But then I thought, what am I going to say now? Because I'm not going to do it in any <laughs> yes. So I said, it's a great place. I'm not going to be able to bring you the crowd, but I might give you a theme for you to use for your own crowd. And he says, what are we talking about? And then I thought quickly, I'm going to say something so outrageous that they are going to have to decline. And then we'll all be happy. So then I said, I'm thinking, being that you have so, such big gardens, why don't we bring elephants and camels? And suddenly I could envision the thousand and one nights and Harum al-Rashid in his turban and Park Cleveland in an elephant and all the boys dressed with the balloon pants. And, and I went on and on and on. And this is, sounds so great. <laughs> oh. Thank God, dear. <laughs> Cheers. get used to these bridges. So then I said, now I'm going to quote an amount that they will have to decline. And then I said, and for my services, bah. And then, sounds good. Oh, God. <laughs> I was on. So I did it. And I did it, and it made the cover of Newsweek. And then all my friends started phoning me. Why didn't we get invited? It looks like you created an event. I didn't know that I was going to end up doing the event. I yeah. I... But in any case, then I took... Uh, Antonio Lopez with the girls, Grace Jones, before she was a singer, she did a fashion show for us. I had another show that was with all the top designers and the American Ballet. And at that contemporary time, I was being offered the studio. Contemporary. They were offered me. My friend, Uva Harden, married to Barbara Carrera, he was offering the studio. And uh, I fell in love with the space. Because it was so new. It was a theater. It had been the opera of San Carlos. It had been the way that they did the $74,000 question, mm-hmm. the CBS. Yeah. So it had a history. And I loved the idea. I could completely visualize in that moment, this is not going to be another club. We are going to be able to have fashion shows, TV shows, movies, concerts. I 
have it, a theater. So I went for it, except that the owner, Frank Lloyd, he was the president of the Marlboro Galleries, but he had, Ross was one of his painters, he was selling them and making a fortune, and the wife wasn't perceiving any commission, so then she sued them and she won the case. And Frank Lloyd ended up eloping to the Bahamas, and then Sally, I'm seated in this project with Uva, and we need sponsors, and then I thought of this too. And that's when the story is written by Andy Warhol, who says, she brought them hand in hand from Queens to the Big Apple to show the project. And they fell in love with it, but they thought it was extremely ambitious. I said, never mind, I'll feel it. Just let me do it. Follow my advice, which they did. And I said, I created conventions, you know. One convention, who's going to do the lights? Paul Marantz and Jules Fisher, who are from Theatre Broadway and the drops and all that. Who's going to do the sound system? Richard Long and Associates, the best sound system. Le Jardin had it originally. Then I said, let's do a convention of architects, something very minimalistic. WPA, the architect, round out, because we need to keep it as a theater. Then uh, another convention for the invitation with all of them. Joe Eula, Antonio Lopez, Richard Bernstein, Michael Balbrack, and ultimately Gil Lesser, from uh, Time Magazine, he won. Gil Lesser did our logo. And then I had designers to design the clothes for the Bass Boys, Torso Naked, mm-hmm. Shorts, very innovative. Ronald Collodi was a designer. And then I compiled the guest list. Andy Warhol gave me the list of an interview. The Ford Model Agency gave me their. Francesco Scavuru gave me his. All my friends participate, the islanders from Fire Island, 3,000 names, so I compiled like 8,000 names and started the studio. So was there, when you first spoke to Steve and Ian about the studio, what was their initial reaction? That it was very ambitious, the project. Did you think there were the, was there a moment that they had doubts? No. But they all they knew it. But you know, I didn't know that it was so easy because I'm not a businesswoman. What they did is they got another backer, Jack Duchet from the Rack Mafia from New Jersey. Uh. He's the one that put the cash. Then with the collateral they went to the bank, they borrowed 5,000 each and they became partners. Mm-hmm. If I would have known, I would have been a partner, but luckily I wasn't. Because if not, I would have ended up in jail. Exactly, yeah. Everything has a reason. So then they wanted to give me 10% of the business. But of course my lawyer and accountant says see if it's the growth or the net. When they say the net, they say forget that, it's going to be zero. Ten of series zero. You better grab ten grand a month, mm-hmm. and you better do percentage of commissions of the banquets that you bring, and the alcohol and the membership cards. That's what I did, and because of that, when the studio closed and they went to jail, I was free. Free. I yeah. had no connection to that, and in reality, I didn't even know that they were speculating, because in the movie. If you have seen it, at the end they do claim that even the prosecutor says you were such pigs being that speculating for a a little 10, 20%, not 80%. I mean, that is gross, you know. And they went to jail. That was their end. And I was clear. But you see, I didn't like that movie. And when they interviewed him, I said the way I thought. First of all, because he always wanted to be me, and he just put the cash in, because Steve was the nice one. He was the bad guy. And Steve would always tell me, he doesn't want to give you more credit, because he thinks that if he does, you are going to pretend more money. You know, that sort of mentality. So in any case, as it turns out, what happens was that he claims, because he wanted to be me, that he discovered the space. That is so outrageous. 
I was there with my group of friends. We couldn't be... Everybody knows the truth. I don't need to clarify the fact that Andy Warhol in black and white said she brought them hand in hand from Queens to the Bergafield. I mean, that sets it all. And he's lying, and then he's saying that he brought the crowd. They didn't even know him at home. He was the antisocial of the group. So that is a bunch of lies. That's why, I mean, for what I did, and I was interviewed for my teen hour, like from three to eight here, I told him, he's going to cancel me, he's going to cut me out, he's going to want to take my credit. At least leave this, I said. Tell the world that I did it for love and with love of this city that only thinks about money, and in Peru we work to live. Here you live to work, and I want to... Leaving aside, I've got my personal view. I didn't like the movie either, and I didn't know much about Ian Schrager, <laughs> the person. I don't think he came across particularly well in that in that movie. Even I don't think so himself. either. Nobody liked it. So Malcolm Gladwell wrote a book um, called The Tipping Point, where he talks about there's three different types of people in the world: mavens, salespeople, and connectors. You seem to be the ultimate connector of people. I am. It must be your superpower. It is. And during that time, you couldn't have been in New York that long. How did you manage to build such an incredible net power network of influencers, of artists, of fashion designers? Um, and people in the music industry, and have them in your in your black book. It was my own uh, way of being, mm-hmm. by being myself. I always was genuine and real, and people liked me because I was an incredibly good hostess. Mm-hmm. And put them all together, I have a tendency of naturally being so... I don't want to brag about myself. It's very hard for me to talk well about myself, but the truth is that I have a talent to connect people, and I do it graciously. Uh-huh. I do it naturally. It's a natural for me to have people and then to... You know, sometimes I feel sad that people don't have a life. And I have too much of a life, so I like to share it. So That's what happens. I like so, to share it. So talk to us about those 33 months of what it was like going through that, that, that crazy journey of the, of the studio until it was closed. For me, it was another job, was you know, another... which I was doing the way I do every job. I do my best. I was bringing the best parties. We were having meetings every afternoon at 4 p.m. We were sitting just to discuss what is going to be on the agenda, and I was the one that was feeling the agenda, not them. So I would say, Valentino wants a party, but he wants to be a ringleader. So let's bring Barnum and Bailey circles. Yeah. At that point, they always would say yes. In other words, one thing I have to give it to them. There was never a money issue. No matter how crazy my ideas were, they were always but this is where the, the, the strength of being a theater that you could let your imagination run free absolutely to come up with, that's why regardless. I envision it even before it happened that's why Bob Colacello says when he interviewed me and I have the copy of the interview I still keep it it says she said it was going to change the nightlife of New York and it was an understatement you know and Andy Warhol says she is the jest, jet set she has people from all over the world with their addresses, summer, winter, blah, 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 and they're all nice, rich, and famous because of the fact that I had the best playground. They all wanted to come and play there, and I was the hostess, so I was making it possible, particularly for the close friends that came from abroad, from Europe, from South America. That was the best moment of New York because for some reason, all the arts, everything, everything was at its peak. We had Basquiat, we had Keith Haring, we had Andy Warhol, we had the entertainment business, Cher, Michael, I mean, the whole talent. And it was all 
at the studio. The book is right there, Studio 54, The Legend. You see nothing but celebrities because sometimes a picture talks more than a hundred words. You will see me coming out of my own birthday cake, one of the best parties ever. It became legendary. From there, I think the idea was won't come out of uh, the cake, you know. They wanted me to do it, and I did it for one of my birthdays with the guardian angels taking me out of the cake. It's right there. I have a question. I mean, the light... The, go ahead. I wonder, because you're telling about all the things that happened there, and, I mean, we all know about it, and still, like, 40 years later, it's been such a legendary club. I don't think there will be any places in 40 years from now that... There will Clock. never be another place. That's what I mean. You know why? Never. never. Not for you. Never. You know why? Because it's a question of timing. It, there was a time and a period for that. It was pre-age. Yes. We were supposed to be young the way we used to be young, which was irresponsible. Everything was fun. If we were doing drugs to expand our mind, if we were doing sex to open ourselves, blah, 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 everything was a nice, healthy excuse that allowed us to be who we were with no consequences. From there on, times changed. AIDS was a plague that came to really punish the people that had been overdoing it. The same way that it happened with Sodom and Gomorrah. There comes a moment of such decadence that then the plagues have to come in order to clean it all up again. And since then, it has never been the same because now nobody can be spontaneous or irresponsible. There is AIDS in the background, so you have to be careful what you do, not drink too much, not get too high, don't get into a situation that might uh, end up bad, blah, 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 blah. That's a different ballgame. And also we live in a world of social media where people can't necessarily all be themselves for the fear that it's being spread. So, yeah, it's very different times. And then besides that, my dear, because people are analyzing me until different angles, the fabulous thing about it all is that the nightlife of New York has grown according to my age. Because I could endure being up until four in high heels in the days of studio, which was over 40 years ago. But then the transition came to the rooftops and the sunsets, which goes actually with the way I'm growing. And right now, this luncheon endeavor is even healthier for me and it's even more up to what is the moment now. So the studio is already history because in my concept, yesterday is history. Tomorrow is a mystery. Today is a gift. That's why we call it the present. And I like to live in the now. I forget what I did yesterday. This is why every time we touch the subject of the studio, it gets monotonous because it's been talked about forever. And we have to move on. We have to keep moving. We have to go with the flow. We have to be fluid. We cannot look backwards. It was already. It was like... Like it was my moment of youth, it was a moment of studio. Now I am in another moment of my life, and I am enjoying the moment that I'm living now. As you said, you've grown through your life, through the, maybe some of the challenges and the experiences you've had, to be this person of optimism, of gratitude. But clearly, to have achieved what you've done and to have continued... Because many people would have left Studio 54 and that was the pinnacle of their career. You've continued to grow and develop. And many people that were there are dead already. <laughs> exactly. When you, <laughs> you no, know. But it's, that's the thing. So what do you think empowered you to sort of uh, continue and change and evolve and grow? Is it cur is Because it, this is the way I am. I can't explain it any other way. Mm -hmm. You know, I guess my energy, and I'm going, always going back to that, is what keeps me young. And also the sense of adventure and of freedom that I have. 
and of, inter, of enterprising new venues, not getting stuck in one image. I'm not going to be the queen of the night. I'm not going to be remembered as such. I don't want to be remembered as such because that's not even the end of what I have in plan in my, in my mind. It's not even doing the branches, which I'm going to make famous as well, and I'm going to make the baby Brasa global. And that's the most exciting project that I have as of now because it's happening. And I was going to the Flower Power Party, inspiring my parties of the studio, where Carlos Marturel in that era lived here, and he being that he motivated himself in those hippie, flower power, amore, love, Joko Ono, John Lennon, la la la. That is what he does every year as a VIP flower power event in Ibiza. And that's the best event in the entire season. And because the inspiration came from here, mm -hmm. and I'm such close friends with him, and he's the best and PR the, of Spain, the, I go every year. So I was intended to come like every year as usual. And then suddenly my friends from Baby Brass will it be very smart says, could we come as well? And then I thought, of course. And being that you come, you probably want to have some business as well. well I'm going to plan a pop-up of Baby Brassa while we are there. And I talked to my beloved friend that is like my sister. In fact, many times I have told her that I think my mother channels in her when she wants to keep, give me a present and fills me with joy. And my mother's birthday was in May, and it, so was my, uh, Mother's Day. And I know, because I know Mammy, that she tends to reciprocate, giving the best gifts imaginable. And I knew that the gift I wanted this summer was to be able to go to Ibiza for the flower power and have the pop-up of baby Brasa to open the doors for a relationship that could become seasonal every year Where from will June it be? to September. It's going to be at Las Dos Lunas, yeah. which is a legendary Italian restaurant of Massimo Lucherini and Almudena. Rosetta Montenegro, my girlfriend being the PR. And because she's like my sister, I just call her and says, Rosetta, I'm coming. I would like to have a pop-up at Las Dos Lunas. Do you think you can make it happen? I knew it was going to be mommy saying yes. How long, will it, how long will it be there for? I organize, you know, you know how long it took me to organize this? Two weeks. And you know when we are leaving? We are leaving on the first, I'm, I'm leaving on the 31st of July, and I'll be back on the 10th of August, because we are, arri I'm arriving on the 1st, with also the guy that is doing my documentary, and my guy, and I'm so happy he's going to illustrate the whole happening, because you really? learn from experiences, and I don't ever want to have the case of Ian saying that he did it. Mm. I am the gate opener. I'm the connector. I'm going to make the baby Brasa globally well known. And I'm the one that is doing opening the gates for baby Brasa to open in Ibiza. So this is what you see, when you feel this enthusiasm mm -hmm. and this passion that you are feeling is because this is what I'm doing now. That's why I don't like to talk about studio 40 okay. years ago. You must get a great deal of energy from seeing people being happy. Cause you're that energizes me. Yeah. I was just thinking, if you're, regardless of whether it's a late-night crowd drinking and doing whatever, or of lunchtime or sunset, it's that connection of people coming together and experiencing new experiences, and you continue to witness and fuel that yeah, happiness in people. Do you think, going back to your mother, is there an element of her spirit that's... That's part of Clearly, that. she was. 
She was all love. She was so seducing and so much fun. Let me show you her picture. May yeah, I do that? Yeah, definitely. Please. Yeah. Let's see it. You have yeah. to. Yeah. Okay. You have to. And I will share some pictures of her and me as a baby. Uh-huh. That would be lovely. Because it's amazing how beautiful she is. Absolutely fabulous. So in any case, she loves to party. And when Did some... Oh, she went to everybody with me. That's why I said she was the best, only partner in crime Mm -hmm. ever. She, my father, but was very delicate, and he died at 68, okay? In 1968. And she? She was only 60. From that moment, single fall season, from September to December, and she went arm in arm with me to all the parties in New York, all of them. She had more energy than I did. She wanted to go shopping. She wanted to go for dinner. She wanted to go to the theater with the queens, the drag queens. She adored them. extraordinary. She must have loved it. Adored them. One day she was studio. Oh, I met this fabulous lady. She's amazing. It was a drag queen that was my hairdresser. I mean, she was like awesome. Beyond. Beyond. I was here with my third husband, Rick. And then this great-looking boy comes, and he gets jealous, thinking, where did you pick him up? Not me, my mommy. (laughs) (laughs) I wish it was me, I said. My mommy would seduce them because her sense of humor and her beauty was so naughty. She was so much fun to be with, honestly. Honestly. She stole the show, I have to say the truth. When we, she was the empress, and it was the princess in training. She was totally the empress. Even the doorman, how is the general? (laughs) 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 That's mama. There's obviously the the spirit and the energy that you have from comes and emanates from your the the effect of your mother. But physically, you're in incredible shape. How do you manage? That's what I was getting at at the beginning of the conversation. Franco, and if I do show you who is Franco and whom am I going to be so with, three models. Yeah. Franco Milan, you know, Franco is with Jean Paul Gaultier. He's going Sunday to Jean Paul Gaultier because he's the image of the perfume male. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So yeah. here I am with three great looking guys. Another one, I mean, and they are not even 30, I'm saying, I'm telling you the truth. The other one, who is a little bit older, probably 40, Enrique, is very attractive. He's been, I can show you his pictures. I've known him since he was 23, and he's like this to me, very successful. And I'm going to be with all these fabulous guys. They are all of them, the eight people, and I have to be in top shape. So in a month, and I'm telling you the truth, Franco inspired me so much with his physique and his discipline. This is a 29-year-old guy that doesn't drink. He's so ambitious and so motivated that he only works out and works. Mm -hmm. Nothing else. He's focused. So I said, if he can do it, why couldn't I do it? And I had given up on the gym, not because I'm lazy, but because I had been doing for 20 years body sculpting with my fabulous teacher, Victor, and he left the club. He retired last year. I was feeling frustrated to have to be paying only to take one class a week called stretching class. I was frustrated to death and I could feel that my body was getting a little sloppy for my 
way of thinking. And at the same time, my metabolism wasn't working as fast as it usually is. When I went to the doctor for my physical, she says, you need to find some activity in order to accelerate a little bit more your metabolism. And I didn't want to follow it. I didn't know what to do. So then I talked to the girl at the front desk of the gym. And she suggested something unbelievable. She says, try Aquafit. Uh, All the aerobics underwater. And it has literally, in a month, changed my body. It totally did. Suddenly, Franco, who comes frequently because we have business dinners, he says, my God, keep doing it because it's really working. So then I started feeling so proud of myself that then I said, now that I'm in great shape you know you can see yeah. it mm-hmm. everywhere 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 and i've lost probably like three or four pounds but my shape is completely toned well it's working every muscle in mm. your body and, and be- it's working your lungs as well it's the great benefit and besides that i do stretching and yoga now i re- went fully into it and on top of that i decided something completely new but shows tremendous willpower I've decided that I don't feel like eating after six anymore. That's a very good thing to do. And on top of that, being that Franco doesn't drink, I can endure a night without drinking that much anymore. Yesterday at the Boom Boom Room, I handled the entire night from 10 to 2 with one Moscow mule and a lot of water. That was never the case with me before. So I think that if you want to, you can achieve it. You have to have a will, willpower and discipline. Yeah, I might find that a little bit tough myself. <laughs> well, I, I thought I was finding mm. it tough. And yesterday I was in front of people that were asking me, do you want another drink? And I was thinking, I don't want to gain weight. I don't. So because of that, I was thinking, no, thank God, stick to water. Yeah, but the thing is, once you're into the discipline of a regime where you know it's having impact... You don't want to do something that's either going to slow you down or reduce its potential impact. You want to see where you can take it. So I think it's it's really interesting that you're doing that. And guess what? My class of Aquafit on Friday, just after my party at the PhD, which is even the worst Mm. situation... The class is at 10. I have to be up at 8.30. 10 in the morning. All right. I'm going to say. After my party at the PhD. Uh, Would you be? uh, And at the PhD, to take away the edge, because I'm a little bit... uh, I have suffered from high anxiety. I am an anxious parent. I I am hypertense. Yeah. Really? Every time. Is it going to be okay? You know, I am one of those perfectionists. So to take away the edge, when I am at the PhD, I drink more than in any other place. Mm because I want to keep calm, I want to have it all under control. So they all know me so well at the PhD. I arrive always the first one. Then they bring me six bottles of water. They bring me my ginger tower, which is my drink, except that that's the best one in New York with a lot of ginger inside. And then they know that it's better to have something in the stomach, not to get drunk. So then they bring me the sliders and the guacamole with the chips and everything that I want to eat to have something in my stomach. So then, of course, I break all the rules. I eat whether I want it or not. I don't want to be out of control. I drink, and I have a great time. But then I have to be up the next morning at 8.30, <laughs> and I haven't it, failed yet. But who are the other people in the class? Are they- Actually, they are all older yeah. than me. But I guess they are people that but want they to keep... Been, they haven't been up on the, on the rooftop till probably two and... Yeah. What time... 
What time does it end at night? Well, you see, my party is a sunset party, oh, which yes, goes from yeah. seven to ten. But I, ah. at that point, I never come home at ten. I continue <laughs> until the wee hours. Who knows? <laughs> Who knows where the if I could tell, night will take me? If I could tell my mum, let alone my sister, your energy and what you can do, what an inspiration to wi- women around the world that see life as retirement after a certain age that you've. You you confront you never stereotypes. give up. You see, this is why the book that they are writing mm. about me is called the Gospel according to Carmen, because you live and learn, and you learn to be wise. You have wisdom when you get to a certain age. You know, mm-hmm. I feel very young in my whole appearance and in my whole spirit, but I have learned a lot. And then, the more you learn the more you know that there are certain values that apply to yourself and then of course you apply them to yourself everybody's different you know for me it's very important to be thankful and to celebrate life i never forget to be thankful and i go to st patrick's every sunday to one o'clock mass dedicate the communion to my family my mommy my daddy mm. and uh, i am grateful and in fact for the documentary, being that they are going to be shooting Franco and me as partners in crime, it's like a reality show. Can't wait to see it. It's going to be in HBO, apparently. Can you imagine? Oh my God, Wonderful. that's a massive. Yeah. Finally, I'm getting the recognition that Ian didn't give me. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> it's all a question of poetic, you know, poetic yeah. justice. Public <laughs> recognition. Well, in any case, people know the truth always, but. Uh, you see, you just keep going and you keep having new projects and you don't give up because the moment you do, then you totally, you know, that retirement word, which I never yeah. want to hear, it's that's what kills you, I think. I think you sort of live that, that life. Yeah. Um, what principles do you stand by in the way you've about... You have to share, obviously. Yeah. You have to share. You cannot be self-centered. You have to share the benefits mm-hmm. that you can have because they are to be shared and because you have to give back to the world in every way and so much so and I'm happy that you are touching the subject because I was going to touch it as well I'm not going to be I don't want to be remembered as the jet setter as Franco said I mean Andy or as the queen of the night or whatever I want to be remembered for something altruistic because at the end of all of this what I create I would like to have and I want to be remember for is to create a foundation to save the planet uh-huh. that's what is on my mind that's the ultimate goal that's where the man is going mm-hmm. I want to do everything to save our planet mm-hmm. our mother earth mm-hmm. next question what is the hardest choice you've had to make but turned out to be the right decision in the end I don't think I could ever think of something being too hard you know because for me everything that I've looked at is not a problem it's Mm -hmm. a project that can be solved you know that's an interesting perspective on life I wish more people had that attitude that's why I'm doing the gospel according to yeah. to give some lessons to the world yeah, that I, I think, think they great. can live by and they can take advantage of and they can probably mm. avoid all the suffering that I had to go on my own in order to learn what I'm sharing you know but it, 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 it is interesting you, just the words that you tend to use this I mean I'd never thought about your role when we were and I was speaking to Bettina and she was explaining about the life you'd led and I started to research what you'd done and I never thought about it initially as being about 
sharing and giving, but it has been a life of constant sharing and giving because you're creating experiences for people that will be enduring memories that create these moments That's of great true. high That's experience yeah. in life. Yeah. And it's a really interesting. We were with a woman last night that we interviewed called Chantel Martin, and she's a live performance artist. And she explores through her art the question of self. Not what do you do, mm-hmm. but who are you? Mm-hmm. And she said not enough people know themselves who they are so that's something and I think when you describe you don't describe yourself as a, a PR person as you talk about your human connect, being a human being a connector someone that shares and creates experiences so I think you've through your life your wisdom you've arrived at a clarity around your sense of who Thanks you are to mommy again mm-hmm. because one doesn't reach this wisdom yeah. easily I mean, I saw it in my mommy's eyes when she already was in the light, you know, Mm. and she was in her 90s. But I'm saying, I learned so much from her. You see, what goes around comes around. And whatever you give, you can be absolutely sure you are going to get back. But my mommy had reached a level in which she was giving just for the sake of living, Mm -hmm. without expecting anything back. And I keep telling her, not me yet. Mm-hmm. I hope I get to be like you at one point. But I mean, who doesn't want to get some recognition? Yeah. She mm-hmm. didn't care anymore. She just wanted to give and didn't expect anything back. Mm-hmm. But you've That's liked, the ultimate, mm-hmm. I think. But you've had recognition and you've uh, well, recognized. And uh, well, by maybe, my, maybe, my friends yeah. and the world. But you need, I keep focusing the, on the story, uh, the one that is more well known, which mm-hmm. is the studio mm-hmm. and Ian taking mm-hmm. credit. You see, that's. That was really upsetting to me. Mm-hmm. Even if I know, yeah. even if the moment in the moment in which they, we saw the movie, my friends immediately started writing in Instagram in face, we'll know, or we all know it's you, baby. Yeah. I mean, there's no need to worry about it or, you know, you know. I think, you know, from a karmic standpoint, I think you're, you're come across as this energetic force from watching Ian Schrager. He doesn't seem a happy person. He's not. Yeah. Because he doesn't have my soul. Mm-hmm. Exactly. He doesn't have the right values. He thinks this. Mm-hmm. He doesn't think this. So I think you that's can, the big difference. I think that's the celebration in life. Of course. That that's something that can never be taken away from you. Never. So. Life is a celebration. That mm-hmm. was the title of my first documentary done by Globo TV in yeah. Brazil. Because there is something. Mm-hmm. Brazilians know me more than anybody. And they appreciate me more than anybody. Because we have the same approach to life. We love the sun. The sun is my husband. He gives me the vitamin D. That vitamin D gives me tremendous energy, which explodes when I am with my friends. And that is my spa. The sun, the beach, the ocean, the universe. You might just answer the next question. But where do you go to discover new ideas? I don't need to go any places to discover new ideas because when I go to my favorite places, that's when I am happy. Mm-hmm. What about when you need space to think? Then I am at my in my own room. Or or Peru. 
when when I, I thought you were asking when am I in New York? Oh, yeah, if you're in New York, yeah, because sometimes well, it because can become sometimes I have enough of socializing, yeah. and I'm I'm somebody that charges the battery, particularly when I'm by myself, mm. because that's when I hear the message of God and my mm. mommy and all of them. That's when all my dreams materialize when I am on my own and I visualize. Like the Guru Mai, my India teacher, told me in meditation, like the um, the, the Dalai, Dalai Lama, Lama yeah. always also told me, in order for a dream to materialize, you have to visualize yeah. it. That's already done. All these lessons that I've been learning throughout my life, I've gone through all of the lessons, the power of positive thinking, yeah. the Indian, the Guru Mai, everything. And it all boils down to the fact that you have to hear the voice of the inner self in order to realize the dreams. So for that I need to be alone because when I am in my f with my friends I realize that they are sucking on my energy. Mm -hmm. But I let start. it happen. Yeah. I let it happen because then I know that I come back and I charge the battery again. But sometimes I do need those moments. And I have a routine. I, I do have a lot of social engagements. You know, It never stops. People tell me do you ever stay home? Yes I do. And sometimes I just force myself. I said, I don't want to do anything today. Now when the weather is beautiful, like now, clearly I want to be out and about and outdoors and in terraces and in rooftops, which is what I'm doing. But then when I decide I don't want to go out, particularly on a rainy or gloomy day or gray day, then I just stay in as of six. I don't touch anything except water. Then I listen to the messages of the universe. And then I am so happy by myself. And I feel so renewed. I meditate. So, you know, I meditate. I pray. I like to be by myself. And then I feel so optimistic again. Because after all, we are all human beings. So mm -hmm. sometimes, who doesn't have a moment of weakness or of down? With me, I'm very temperamental with the weather. If the weather is gray or gloomy or rainy, then I tend to become a little bit depressed. You can't get on your rooftops. And with that, I guess, the weak part of myself comes out, and I could even become insecure in those moments, and negative, you know. But, uh, and sometimes, because my biography comes once a week, and we are planning on having the book ready by October, by my birthday. Mm. So with her, I talk about everything, because all my soul is exposed in that book, you know. So I have to tell her of my downs and everything. And then she's the one that carries me through those moments because she's a Scorpio. She's very good in those moments of weakness. They are very strong. But then, of course, sometimes she as a human being has a problem too, and then I carry her through. And that's the way to do it. You see? Besides your mother, who would you say has had the greatest influence on your life? Nobody can compare. Okay. Nobody. You know, to the point that sometimes I miss her physically, you understand? She's in my soul. But I tell her, I think, I'm missing your presence. And then she channels with somebody mm. of Taurus. And then she appears in the heavens like yesterday. We were at the boom boom, and Sally there, she is shining upon us. Because being that she has Venus, mm. which is my planet together with Taurus, there was the most brilliant star. And I look at Karen, my girlfriend, and I said, guess who's there with us, having the time of her life? <laughs> Mommy! <laughs> you know, people that are close to me, they realize when she appears, but they have to be very special. Like, for example, when I'm with my little great nieces, 
in Lima. Suddenly a white butterfly will be among the plants, you know, and my little great niece says, Mommy has arrived! <laughs> <laughs> always connected to beauty. Always connected to happy moments. You mentioned the, you, the, the positive thinking framework and mentality you have, but there's always times in people's lives when you encounter um, some form of either knockback or failure. What's your perspective on on failure? As I say, when I see that something is not going right, I just encourage them mm-hmm. to not to give up and to have faith and patience. There are two things that are the most difficult to acquire, mm-hmm. and that is patience and faith. Because sometimes I've given up and I've lost faith and I have lost my patience. But then you have to realize that things happen in God's timing, not when we want to necessarily. So the best thing is to put yourself in his hands. Every day when I wake up, I said, I'm happy to be alive and in good health. Now I'm in your hands. Will you please guide me through the day so I accomplish your will? At that point, I know that I'm in good hands. Meaning that if it's not happening... It's not that it's the end of it. Mm. It is not over yet. Yes. When it's done, that's when it, when he wants it, when it happens. But sometimes you do realize in having that patience, in learning to be patient, and in learning to have faith that when it happens, it's better than you expected. Mm. Of all the incredible people that you've encountered and met in your life, who's surprised you the most? I mean, I don't want to get into that because sometimes they have surprised me in a negative way. Okay, let's not. Let's you know, because one. they surprised me. For example, Andy was one of my idols. And I adored him. He was a great artist. And when I went to his funeral in St. Patrick's, I said, you must be happy with him because you give us life in order to accomplish something. And what we do with our life is the gift that we give back to you, my God. And he did a lot. So in that way, I was a fan. But then I realized that he was selfish self-centered he uses uh, he used to manipulate these young people like it is Sedgwick you know he would like to have the entourage working with him for the experience and on top of that he built him up as superstars and then when he decided to exchange him for somebody new then they went down the drain like it is Sedgwick you know and what I'm saying is Human beings are weird, you know. The more I know human beings, the more I like animals. And that's why nobody has embraced me to the point of, I would like to have somebody that has a great spirit, a great soul, and is a great philanthropist, something like that. Not somebody that at the moment is famous, but then you find out his human weaknesses because then I lose faith in human beings but that's why you that's why I didn't want to talk about it because I don't want to be negative but it's the truth it's the way I feel but that's the way the way you describe your mother as being at that higher plane of energy that I think a lot of people that find themselves in the situations are haven't got that whether it be a reincarnation or whether it be um, they are not at the level. Yeah, they just haven't. They're they are not. A, and and, and Karen tells me that because I pretend a lot from people mm-hmm. because I like the best, you know. So she tells me it doesn't reflect on you. It reflects on them, yeah, their absolutely. behavior. Because sometimes I get so let down by the by the behavior of people 
that I say, you know, I told her, I want to save the planet, but I am not interested in the human beings because for me, the human beings are the people that interest me the least. I prefer animals. I prefer the universe. I prefer the plants. I prefer the sun. I get let down by human beings, not because... They are letting me personally down, but as human beings, they are not at the level, you see. So this is why, once again, you cannot expect what they are not. They are in a different level. When I'm in Peru, I have to come down four levels to communicate because they don't have the capacity to understand the way we work in New York and the way our mind works. They are slow to capture it. They are a different race. They came from the Spanish. The Spanish was the Inquisition. They are very narrow-minded. They are very hypocritical. They do things behind each other. They are still in that wavelength, you know. They can go out to married couples. They can betray themselves. I mean, those levels for me are so passé mm -hmm. that I don't want to discuss them. Yeah. It's useless to get no, into no. that. It's not a good subject a to discuss it's publicly. It's a drain. It's, it's a drain on energy. So let's move on. Our question we always ask our guests is the impossible question as to what advice would you give someone who's being um, told that might be about to graduate, go and study, or might be older in life, that has a grand ambition, a dream, a goal. But be someone... yourself. Pursue your goals. Believe in your dreams. Materialize them in your mind and carry them through. Yeah. It's um, a great answer. We'd like to offer a book recommended by yourself that we offer our listeners for the best comments that they make in the comment section. Is there one book you would recommend people Le Petit Prince. Yeah, I'll go along with that. Yes. That was a character mm -hmm. that for me was somebody that I adored mm -hmm. because Le Petit Prince was a soul, yeah. pure soul. Saint Exupery. Uh -huh. mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a wonderful book. It's a book I think we should all read every couple of years. Who do you think we should interview next? I know interesting people. You know, I know a wonderful Peruvian lady, Ana de Orbegoso, and she is an artist, and she's very special, you know, but I don't know if... If she's interested at all, yeah. I, 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 you know, I don't have any okay. idea, okay. because she is very interesting. She's an artist. She's done a lot of, like... Uh, Inca connected, you know, happenings and yeah. She's very much into the Peruvian culture and all. When will your documentary be ready? Oh, this one is the first chapter because mm -hmm. this guy, Trey Chapman, who is doing my documentary, and he, for him, this chapter is called Partners in Crime because Franco and me, because of me, are opening in, in uh, Ibiza. So it's called partnership, but this is the first chapter because he specifically wants to illustrate the moment from its creation in my mind to the speed in which I made it happen. And now we are all going to Ibiza and we are all already, you know, in the hotels and all that. It's happening. It's not, it, it is materializing. So according to him, and he talks to me every day, he's in Florence, but he talks to me every day. He tells me, you are actually... Because he already has labeled me the gate opener. I like to call myself the great eminence. La eminencia gris, la eminencia grigia, quella che dietro di tutto, certo. But he also is calling me the fairy godmother. <laughs> Which one do you prefer? The three. <laughs> 
depending on the mood in which I am. I like the idea of the fairy godmother quite a lot, you know. But I also like great eminences more serious, but it is true as well. And I am the gate opener. So this is what you see, when you feel this enthusiasm and this passion that you are feeling is because this is what I'm doing now. We ended this interview without our usual wrap-up, as Carmen wanted to show us some of her family photographs and iconic images from the Studio 54 book. So all that's left for me to say is to thank Carmen for the time she granted us, her generosity of spirit and the candour of her answers. Carmen is a genuine living legend who continues to inspire generations that follow her. Bring on summer 2020 and those rooftop parties. Just go to iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or whatever podcast player you listen to subscribe and rate. And if you like the show, please give us a five-star rating as it helps more people discover us. If you want to learn more or have someone you'd like us to interview, just visit us at theimpossiblenetwork.com or DM us on Instagram at theimpossiblenetwork. For now, be curious, be creative, and be open to serendipity. See you next time.